What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Lions Blog Podcast. This is your host, Gavin. Really hard to get up for this one um, and have a a good, honest discussion about the game as a whole. Uh, We all know what happened with the 2-2 draw in Austin after, you know, really being in front and really having a a good performance on the road against a, a good team in this league. And uh, we got we got some points stolen from us. We all know that. Uh, so going to try and set that aside for a little bit and kind of have that conversation near the end and just obviously discuss how the calls impacted the game, uh, impact our upcoming matches and, and, and all the lovely stuff there. Uh, I have to say this match really, really frustrated me. So <laughs> it, it's hard to kind of set that aside for a minute but uh yeah here to discuss with me is chase chase how are you doing tonight hello i'm doing good um i'm sitting in my car right now and uh i'm going to a concert tomorrow i was talking about that earlier i'm about to cry my eyes out so i'm looking forward to that i'm not going to the miami game though unfortunately yeah that's why you're crying your eyes out um <laughs> because it's gonna be a good <laughs> game tomorrow Adam will be on shortly. Uh, he's just heading home from work, uh, so he'll be on in probably 10, 15, 20 minutes here. Uh, he'll probably get a shower, but uh, he's going to get give us his thoughts as well. Chase, um, let's just start with this. Overall, this match in general like, has probably been the most angry I've been at a match since the Columbus ghost penalty. These two matches are up there for me with, like, the most pissed I've been after a match. And it's just because the result was taken completely out of our hands, completely undeserved, and uh, we we lost points because of it. So, for you, how are you feeling right after the final whistle? Well, yeah, right after, I mean, everything occurred following the initial red card, there were plenty of cause for frustration and some of that is self-inflicted and then also some of that does feel like we were unjustly and in some cases objectively unjustly um you know just screwed for lack of a better term um particularly like i think that like the handballs and the, the second yellow in particular was very bad but obviously just the fact that the corner that they you know scored off of uh was following just you know, it came off of Gite's head and it was a goal kick objectively by the letter of the law. Like, that's not up for debate. So it's just things that are shouldn't be occurring, you know, obviously ripping away two points. But there's also some things that we have to, like, look inward about, like, you know, referring to pr- particularly to Cesar of, like, how we responded to that. And, you know, Oscar talked about with, like, game management and stuff. But it was just in a, in a measurably frustrating match, particularly in the second half. Um, but that's not to say that there actually wasn't a lot of good to come from the first half, but it all, at least, you know, once you kind of look back on it with a bit more of a, a level head, 
um, you can see that, but you kind of don't think about that when it's such like an emotional ending to a game and you feel so unjustly, um, you know, ripped away or like having two points ripped away. So it, it's, it's like, I can, I can accept when my team gets like outplayed. It's frustrating in a different way, but it's even more so frustrating when it is just poor officiating and, and game breaking decisions that, you know, keep us from, uh, getting points that maybe we deserved yeah just uh it was a snowball effect right um one bad thing led to another led to another led to another i agree with the self-infliction and and we'll talk about that later uh but yeah i was just the emotions of it i was just really mad i had to literally just go and i took a shower after the match like i had to just get off the phone i had to just walk away go take a shower like just reset and that nearly did nothing i was still you know pretty pissed off after that so uh and i never you listeners y'all know uh i'm I'm pretty objective when it comes to decisions i feel uh going back to the nashville one that's the big one where i took took a lot of heat for saying that i thought it was a foul from dk uh just plain and simple i i've been a ref um i've center refed big matches before and just I know what refs look for and I know what refs see sometimes and uh, try to take put on my ref glasses and and look at the laws and see it from that perspective. But yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't see it for this match. So so let's um let's have that discussion later in terms of the outcomes and what the ref might have been thinking and and how it changed and everything. Let's talk about the, the first half because that was um, sunshine and rainbows for us uh, for the most part. Uh, we, we got a little um lucky we had some luck go our way for once right so we had a good high press it, it was kind of like we we made our own luck we had a good high press uh and i and i really like those high presses chase where we're pressing the passing lanes and not the person on the ball we had three people basically in their box uh or right on the edge of the box and their goalkeeper doesn't look up passes it straight to urso or so straight over to Kara. Kara slots at home one zero. Um, how how were you feeling after the goal? Uh, were were you happy uh, with the way the goal came about, or or were you thinking and eh, it was just a little lucky? Well, I think that when you do a high press like that, and when you're pat or you know covering the passing lanes and stuff like that. Um, you could say that it's luck, but you're also just kind of playing the odds. Like every time you're not going to take advantage of a mistake, like someone's not going to commit an error. But if you position yourself in the right area, odds are eventually something like this is going to happen. And and that's kind of why it is worth it to put that pressure on. And, and you know, if Brad Stuver, if we were kind of sitting back, he would have time to like take a touch and then square up the ball and play it out longer. And then after we saw this occur, he was very shaky on the ball like he's he's a good goalkeeper but he just was not able really to play out he was consistently kicking the ball out for throws and stuff like that and I think that that is partially as a result to him already making like a goal um you know a fatal error in terms of giving up a goal and yeah it was a poor um attempt to play out from him but by the same margin it's like junior Urso is there because that is something that can occur like if you mark these passing lanes and if you kind of mark the correct space eventually you're gonna you know have one come up 
or like have something come off for you. And, and that's kind of what happened to Junior. And he did really well to receive the ball. And then Kara, who was pressing as well, was just completely um, open in the box. And Junior did well to gather the ball, uh, find Kara in a good position. And it was a good little finish by Kara because he didn't, you know, because he was he was quite close there. He didn't have a whole lot that he could do in terms of like, you know, where he could put the ball. Like it, it was it was a finish that he should be making, but it's a skillful finish nonetheless. Um, and yeah, it's this. That's why you do the press. It's not always going to work. There could be a few games where it doesn't really come off, or even like a chance isn't really created throughout it. But reasons like this is why you continue to do it because it puts pressure on, and uh, eventually it's going to fall your way. Yeah, make your own luck, sort of thing. I I, I like that. And um, what I really like about it is, I've talked about Pareja. Like we have our we have our patterns of play, we have our system, we have our, our thing that we fall back on. But sometimes he will come out and uh, spot a weakness in a team. And one thing I will say about Austin this year is Austin have been prone to giveaways in the middle and defensive third. And I'm glad, and, and I think that's that it's something that should be pointed out, that our coach and our coaching staff and our and our game scouts and analysts or whatnot uh, saw that and put the boys out there to go press. Um, so so I, I I think that's that's right. And I and I'm glad that also our our press is a passing lane press and not a press the ball carrier like like maybe a San Jose because when you do that you just you can get picked apart so quickly. So uh, yeah, I wanted to highlight the press. Um, part of that is Urso on the right. And this has been a talking point over the last few weeks as Urso has found a new home in that, you know, on the lineup graphic at least, um, or at least in people's minds, uh, he's on that right side. Um, but I, but I've seen some criticism for, for it. And I want to first ask, why do you think this is being criticized? From the fan base i don't know in all honesty i haven't seen as much of the criticism i think that initially um you could look at that particularly because it's not in like a 4-4-2 which if you were going to play somebody like junior or so a little bit wider you would think that it would be more beneficial to do that in a bit of a 4-4-2 and as opposed to kind of like this 4-2-3-1 that we were playing um, and I think people in those positions would typically kind of associate players that are, you know, quicker, uh, a bit more like trickier on the dribble and able to deliver in a cross, which Urso is good at beating a man. And he also is pretty good at delivering a cross, but he is a bit more of like a box to box physical presence um, in the middle of the field. And I think that maybe that's where it could be some cause for concern. But I do think in practice, it really does work. And I think that you know, I, I wasn't someone who was like saying like, oh, we should do this now. In fact, I was like saying that maybe Mauricio could operate all right out there. But it does make sense looking back on it, like Junior finding a bit of success out there, because I think, you know, one thing that, you know, is in Oscar Pereja's system is, and certainly kind of how we have played as a team is our wide players, like our fullbacks and our wingers or right sided and left sided midfielders, whatever you want to call them, are expected to get up and down in all thirds of the field in all phases of play and junior Urso, while he was playing more centrally was the person who would cover the most ground so it makes sense that if you're asking somebody 
to get forward and also come back on defense and especially on the side where Huan is, where Huan is going to be completely like at sometimes the highest player up in the field. I think it makes sense to have somebody like Junior Urso doing that um, because, you know, he has some qualities that are working well out there, um, like specifically talking about like an attacking quality. Like he like I said, he can beat a man and and he's good in link up play and holding off the ball to, uh, you know, allow Huan to make some runs in like in and around him. That's kind of what Chris did pretty well as well. Um, and he um, also is good at, you know, pressing and like an attacking third. And also, you know, you'll see sometimes in this game, especially in the first half, you would see him in and around the box winning the ball. And then he's able to spring the ball forward, get a counter. And then, you know, he's obviously a player who is very physically fit and able to cover a lot of ground. So he'll be able to get back up in the attack before long. Um so, yeah, I think because he is someone who is able to cover so much ground and he's really good in all phases of play, that if you play him the right way and ask him to do the right things as a, you know, a wide man, he has a lot of good qualities for it, you know? And also, I think that he has looked a bit, this this could just be like a placebo. He's almost looked a bit faster since he's played there. Maybe he's, like, showing off his speed a bit more. Not that he is, like, Huan or anything like that, but it's better than I would have, you know, said if you asked me that like three weeks ago you know yeah and also it, it's almost like he's playing like a very similar position to what he was playing before just his starting position is just a little bit further out when it comes to defense but offensively like he comes in you know just like Facundo would on the right you know he, he didn't have the same he doesn't have the same freedom but he, he he'll cut in he'll get into that right half space um almost act as a as a right eight sometimes a lot of fluidity in that position as Huan is obviously given freedom to to push up on the the right side of the pitch for me I'm not saying I've seen a ton of criticism first first and foremost it's not like everyone is saying Urso needs to be dropped he he's awful on the right <laughs> I don't I don't get it I I just seen some people criticize um so I wanted to bring it up for me I think Pato is a reason for the criticism. I haven't seen anyone specifically say it, but if you think about it, we have Pato sitting on the bench and people are saying Pato is, uh, you know, someone who could play on that right side and play that role. And he's a creative player that people want to see. So, so I think that's part of it. And we'll talk about him in a second. First and foremost, Adam has joined. So, uh, hello, Adam. Hello. Yes. Hello. Um, want to get your and, and we're tabling the discussion about the referees uh, until the end of the podcast, like I usually do when it comes to refs. Um, I honestly, just real quick, don't have much to say about the referees, actually. Well, yeah, because <laughs> it's all been said. Can, yeah, what more can we say? Uh, I actually just wanted to get your quick thoughts. Right after the game, I was explaining to Chase that this match just thoroughly pissed me off more than any other match I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, I thought we played well-ish. Does that make sense? Yeah, you can see yeah. kind of you Austin getting into the, the box. Was. You could see what Poppy wanted us to do. Obviously, the first goal was an absolute gift in the second minute. And, you know, worked to, to the Poppy game plan because then he only needed one more before he could park the bus. <laughs> uh, 
But, you know, Austin, we're trying to be aggressive at home. You know, we sat back. We defended well. We countered effectively. It seemed like every counter chance at least had a chance to be dangerous, and some of them very much were. Obviously, still need to work on finishing off our chances, but, you know, no no team is 100% on that. And, you know, we were playing well up until the red card. And then after that, I thought we showed great resolve in keeping and holding them for 30 minutes. So I don't have a problem with the performance, you know, other than what happened in the game. But I thought the players and the coaching staff both gave it their all and were pretty good. Yeah. Um, So where we're at now is uh, Urso on the right. Um, I've seen some people criticize the decision and I asked Chase why. Yeah, I'm a fan too. I asked Chase why. Um, it's criticized. Why do you think it's working? Why are you a fan of Urso on the right? He's a good player. Um, he's very good at keeping possession, at presenting himself as an option. Uh, he's got a good nose for you know what to do in the final third in the box. He's got a decent shot. Um, not the best passer. I would say yeah, that's actually his weak point. Not that he's bad at it, but it's just kind of not what he's known for. He can draw fouls. He's good at tracking back on defense. What he's missing and why he doesn't play wing is he's not a dynamic enough athlete, especially at this point in his career. And he just doesn't have that, I would say, super great finishing ability that most forwards have. He's His finishing ability is great for a midfielder, but for a forward, it would be, I still think, below average, you know. But, you know, I we're, we're very thin at that position, and I don't think I love Pato playing the wing that much. I heard you all talking about him a little bit. Um, so I, I very much like the idea of playing. Uh, it's, I've seen it compared to, like, when David Beckham would play right wing. Kind of that role. Obviously, he's not David Beckham, but uh, a midfielder playing on the right, keeping possession, getting in good positions, showing for the ball. I, I like that style of play. That was you, Chase, right? Saying David Beckham on the right? Yeah, something like a little bit similar. Even like a Paul Scholes or something like that, which these players are obviously a bit more like, a bit more. They're like technically better and, you know, better delivering across. But a bit more good. <laughs> yeah. Bit, just a bit. Just a bit. Um, yeah, so so where I was going with Pato uh, and why it doesn't work. And Adam, I think you you really hit on it there. Urso shows for the ball and he can keep it. And Pato on the right, I don't think it's been working. Um, and I think that's why we're not seeing him out there. Uh, for me, this is going to be. Uh, I don't. Saying, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. For me, Pato's biggest strength is finishing off a play, whether it be with an assist or, or scoring or, you know, making the, the goal scoring action happen. I would rather see him play more centrally closer to goal or at least centrally in the action rather than just be a link guy in possession like the right wingers asked to be sometimes. Yeah, so this is this is the complex, and this might be a little controversial, but I, I don't think Pato has been working for us this season really all that much because what we need is people to get the ball into the final third, but then we need people in the final third to do the final third action, right? And 
we really need people to be able to do both, right? So we need Pereira to be able to get the ball into the final third and then create the, the final action. We need um, Facundo to do those same things. And, and, and Urso can do a little bit of both of those things. Um, and, I, and I think the getting the ball to the final third is uh, much more important on the right side for us. That being said, Pato is probably the best in the team, Adam, at that final action, like you said. So that's kind of the the give and take with him because Kara cannot get the ball to the final third. He He's the one doing the final action. So we don't have that third party doing that. And I think we've seen a lot this season when Kara and Pato start um, together, we really, really struggle attacking-wise. Um, so I think... I think Urso on the right is due to the lack of depth we have now in terms of Vanderwater being out, Benji being out, Tesho just getting back from injury. Um, you know, Jacqueline's not really an option. Uh, Gaston Gonzalez, not expecting to lose him. Jake Mulroney's just come in. Uh, he doesn't look like a viable option to start anyways. Uh, so... Uh, that's kind of the necessity of it. And then the tactics of it is on the right, Pato just hasn't been that good for, for the system and what we need. Not saying he hasn't been good in terms of creating chances, um, but in terms of the system, he hasn't been good. Chase, do you agree with that? I mean, I think that there are times where it works. I, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say that Like, I think every time him and Carr on the field together, it's, like, hapless. I think the bigger issue is, like, when him and Facundo maybe are on the field together. Like, I see more chemistry issues there. Like, there has been some times where I think that Pato and Carr have connected and it just didn't come off. But it still is just something that, like, you know, we have a lot of – not a lot, but we still have three, maybe four good – really, really good attackers, and we're yet to kind of find a way to all have them on the field while they're working at their highest capacity. Um and it's just someone, I guess, is getting left out. And right now, I guess it's Pato. And and I guess I I almost think that maybe that is not for the best, but like the bench role that he has been in has worked well sometimes. Like even if we see him just come in against like Toronto, he's able to, you know, make a difference, you know, and it, it's just that's a corner. That's not something you can count on as much, but it's good to have like a player like that who is so cheap, relatively speaking, and also a very, very good player be able to come on at a moment's notice and like make a difference. He's kind of like an, he can kind of be like an ill senior in that way. But that being said, I still think that if we are to unlock kind of the most potential in this team, I think that Pato is playing a decent amount of, of soccer, you know, it's just about figuring that out. Yeah. Adam, Adam, what do you think? No, Chase is exactly right. Like it, it needs to be figured out. It it just comes down to what's the highest potential lineup and how are we going to win games, especially in the playoffs? You know, would you rather start Pato or Benji Michelle? Would you rather start Pato or Andres Perea? Would you, you know, you play this game and the answer should be Pato and Poppy needs to figure out how to make that work. I think it kind of goes down to a little bit, Adam, the discussions we've had before of, the the game style and does it suit him 
I think I, I don't know. I go back and forth on this. I so think, change your game style. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, that Perez is not going to do that. But what what suits him better? Having a bunch of possession and, and allowing him to be up there and create, or or sitting deep and then when he gets the ball, being very direct with it and trying to go forward. For me, I think it's the former. I think it's the possession style. Yeah, if you think about it, he comes from very much from the, the Jogo Bonito style Brazilian football where they want possession, they want to you know knock it around the park and make you look silly, and they want to string 15 passes together, you know, switching play three or four times and then do a Rabona into the back of the net. <laughs> Obviously, we're not doing that. <laughs> but but that doesn't mean I think that we when we play our best protagonistic football, it is through possession. And this team has the players capable of playing a good possession game. Mm-hmm. I think we just need to figure out how to do it consistently, which I do believe Oscar Preya is capable of and wants to do. And once that happens, which I think... With our possession, maybe we need to be, you know, a little bit of tiki-taka in, up until the final third, and then we get to the final third, be direct. Maybe Because I think maybe we're overcomplicating it a little bit. Um, and just say, hey, Faku, make a move and, and find him. You know? Faku, Faku needs to just get into the box and do his things. He is aces outside of the box, and then he just doesn't set foot in it. So he needs to like get in the box and then make a move and try and find someone rather than trying to do it from all the way to the touchline, you know? And, and I think that Pato is maybe expecting him, uh, going back to the, the Pato and Faku issues that Chase highlighted, is maybe expecting him to do those things that he's very well capable of doing inside the box. Pato's like, bruh, I'm the only one here. Why aren't you here with me? You're, you're, you're good enough to do this. I, I don't know. I'm just, kind of spitballing here but but <laughs> i i think i think yes pato is more suited to a possession oriented game and we are capable of doing that and if we were to you know kind of meld our two two different styles of play into something that works for more than one set of players you know and that might be what ends up winning us games in playoffs or you know in, in the next couple rounds of open cup hopefully yeah, and that's that's kind of that's kind of the thing. Uh, having that depth as an option is big. The other aspect to it, and I can hear I can hear our listeners because uh, our listeners they they know what they're talking about. Um, I can hear them saying, "Yeah, but he can't keep hold of the ball um, when he gets it, like with back to goal." And it's like, yeah, he he does try flicks. Yeah, he he does kind of lose the ball a bit in in those situations. Not every time, but but there's been times this season where he will just the, the ball won't stick for him for whatever reason. Um, and so I think he needs to be like the second man, and that second man is out on the right. Technically, um, early on in the season, we saw our right winger kind of become a right forward like almost a, a second striker. That's how central they were getting. Um, and, and I think that can work maybe a little bit deeper though. He was, you know, they were getting way up there. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's kind of the other aspect to it. I don't think it's as the central central striker in a possession system because you need your striker to drop deep and help possess the ball in those systems. 
Um, final thing here, Chase. Facundo, quite a few times this game, um, was running in behind again, and he was running in behind into channels again um, and getting the ball behind their right back. Uh, this is something I highlighted on the last episode with Daniel. He, he joined me for the last episode because um, we saw a lot of long balls over the top to the left channel for Facundo to run onto, um, which is something that this team really was not doing much of in games past. So this is now two games in a row now where we're kind of hitting that left channel a bit more. We're, we're trying to we're trying to get into the final third down there uh, just a little bit more direct. And uh, this time it pays dividends. F- Facundo Torres is very direct. He, he, he makes a run off the shoulder, gets the ball, puts the ball into the box, uh, gets headed down by Cara. Uh, Pereira takes a good shot and who wants there to to mop up the rebound? Uh, what do you make of that theme? Is it do you think it's here to stay for the next few weeks before Pereja changes it up? Um, or or uh, do you think, no, it was just for the these two games, Toronto and Austin? Well, you know, I'm not sure. I think that like it's paying dividends on obviously because like on the second goal, which is like what you're referring to, he made like a good run into like the wide area and we have a fullback a left-sided fullback there who if he does make the runs and you know Xiao has a little bit of space he has a very you know a good left foot and he can wait a pass very well so he's going to be able to find him and I think if if Facundo is not going to be picking up the ball himself and then running at players which is something that I would like to see more of him but he just hasn't been doing it makes sense for him to try to stretch the back line a little bit, especially, you know, Nick Lima is a fine player, but like he can be caught out a little bit, especially because he also likes to get forward. Um, And if there's going to be a little bit of space in behind or even just isolation in like a one V one, it makes sense to try to get into that wide area and then continue to push forward, which I think kind of what Adam was saying about like playing more possession based soccer until we get into the final third and then, and then becoming more direct I think maybe the second goal was kind of a very good example of that. And a large part of that is, you know, we won the ball and then we kind of like moved it around the midfield and then we had like a very good switch of play. And like that is the moment where after possessing a bit, you want to push forward. And if Facundo doesn't make the run that he does and then deliver in the cross, that kind of, you know, falls to Mauricio and then Juan's able to put it away. Um, Obviously that goal doesn't happen. So that is the kind of direct play that we need once we get into the final third. And I think that, I I think that, yeah, like you said, it's been something that's happening for a few games. So I would bet that it's been sort of like a tactical identification that has occurred Um, and it's starting to work. So I I think, you know, obviously everything is a bit trial and error and, and seeing that maybe he hasn't been as dominant in a one V one or able to progress the ball by himself as maybe we would hope it would make sense for him to try to use his speed to stretch out the back line and then, and then be more direct. Like we're being like, it's, it is a very like promising thing to see. That's why it's like this game, as much as it sucks to lose like the two points and it does suck. There's also positives to take from this. Like I do think that we played pretty well and there are things that we can build off of. And uh, that was one of them. Yeah. Sorry. I couldn't find the mute button. Um, yeah, F- Facundo on the left. Um, 
I don't know, since day one, I, I've been a proponent of it. Uh, and I, I think just simplifying his game, I, I know people love him, him roaming. For me, and I, I feel I've been consistent with this, Facundo Torres needs his game to be simplified right now, I think. And, and maybe just being a, a build-up guy down the left and, you know, you know, drop into spaces, receive the ball, turn, and, and just do a quick pass-off. Um, and then running in behind and, and, you know, making a final cross. Because this crossing is actually really good. It's been it's been good this season. We've had a lot of goals off of it um, for someone who doesn't cross all that much. Uh, it's been pretty impressive. And uh, I, I think... I think we just need to simplify his role a bit more than having him ro- roam all over the pitch, try and find and, and 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 build up and and then also be creative. It, it just wasn't working. And so I'm personally a fan of this role. And maybe it's just come out of necessity due to Benji and Vanderwater not being available and, and Tesho not being available and Gaston Gonzalez and, and Pato maybe not working for the system right now. Um you know, maybe it's just been born out of that, and this is a role for for someone else. But for now, it's working, and I want to see us continue putting him in behind and and allowing him to to give those crosses and get some shots off on the left. Because I think we will see a little bit more out output than we 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 were seeing previously. Uh, Adam, any final thoughts on that before we move on? I think that, you know, we were talking about playing a little more direct and, and really it, it, we have these good players, right? We got Faku, we got Pato, we got Cara, we got Mauricio Pereira. Like we have these guys and I think Pereira wants to be, he wants everything to be perfect, right? You know, he wants to play someone so open that they have no choice but to score. That doesn't always happen. Right. So I think maybe uh, Poppy needs to just sit down and be like, hey, listen, when we get to the final third, just pick the best pass and just go with it. Don't knock it around a bunch of times. Because when we do really well, I think, at getting the ball there, and sometimes we're, we're getting the ball there and we have a brief numbers advantage because the defense hasn't gotten back yet, especially on a counter. And we need to just pick something. You know, don't don't knock it back to the midfield, knock it around, and then you know try to keep possession all the time. Like that's that's well and good sometimes. If if uh, if we're gonna say be like Miguel Gallardo and say drink water with the ball, you know that's all well and good. But if you're trying to score, you know, or if you if if you're really trying to your there's sense of urgency, you're trying to really take advantage of this possession. Give it to Faku, let him make a move, put a ball in. He's got a really 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 great cross. Uh, I I think he's he's even better than Joao at crossing. And Joao's really good at crossing, but Fafi's got a great ball in from the left. And, and just, you know, just just do it. If you get the defense off balance, because the cross isn't even, it wasn't just cross and goal. It was a cross, you know, ball falls, and then gets a rebound, gets knocked to a guy, and then, and then you know, it gets put in. But it's not necessarily, who on of all people puts it in. But the the getting the defense off balance and then taking advantage of it in that moment is what created that that second goal, and that's what I'm talking about. And that's when I think these players' qualities will start to shine because that was a quality cross from Faku. And then you know maybe Carb puts in the next one, maybe it falls to 
Pato and he and he picks out the top corner or something like that. So that's really the idea behind it is is good players against an off balance defense. Not necessarily just you know shoot randomly and see just what sticks, but but put yourself in a more advantageous situation and take advantage of it when you have it. You know what's funny is I was watching um, the RSL versus Austin match actually, um, and and RSL is what you just outlined, but they don't care about any possession or anything else. Every time they get the ball, they are direct. It doesn't. It, it's not always long. It's not always um, just kick, hoof it up the field and run after it. Like they do it smartly. Um, but every time they get the ball, they're looking to go forward. If they're going backwards, they're opening a lane to go forward. They don't want to keep possession all that much. And Austin struggled with it, like really, really badly. <laughs> like RSL created some good chances. They weren't taking them, and and Austin struggled. And so that is the, I think RSL is like the flip side. And we want to balance it, right? We're saying, okay, we want we want to break them open, and then once once we do, be direct, go, 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 go. Do not do not dilly dally, just go. And sometimes we will break them open, and then just not realize it. And maybe we just need to be a bit smarter on, on realizing that the opportunities there. And just going for it. And I think we are. And I think you know who's great at this to circle it back to the earlier discussion. Urso. He's great at that. Yeah. That's he loves being that link. Like, okay, guys, get up the field. There's an opening here. We're going to hit it. Yeah. And I think Facundo Torres needs to maybe improve in that aspect of his game of noticing when the time is right to be extremely direct. You know, when you get isolated 1v1, take him on, man. Like, you're allowed to do that. Um, and that's been one of my frustrations with him. But overall, I think he's improved over the past four weeks or so individually. I think uh, he looks a lot more comfortable. Um, his interplay has been good. Obviously, his technique is still good. Um, yes, the output isn't there. He's not scoring or assisting every single goal. But uh, we don't need him to. And I don't want to put that pressure on him. I'm glad that we haven't, we haven't done that to him. Um, we're able to still be somewhat successful uh without him being our our main guy what the uh, what is it called when you when you have one good player on your team uh, like stars and scrubs figure i don't know it's like one the talisman yeah i don't know just like a one-man <laughs> team or something like that where they like drag anyways it doesn't matter mm-hmm. um <laughs> we've got some listener questions and since we're on the topic of facundo chase uh, Tesho time. Adam. Oh, I'm Adam. sorry. It is always Tesho time. Thank you, sir. <laughs> At Forever Our City. We're through enough games now where I'm ready to say Facundo Torres just isn't as explosive or creative as I expected him to be. Not saying he's done poorly, but compared to other young South American newcomers like Almada and Velasco, his play just isn't as exciting. Thoughts, Chase. I don't know how much of that is down to like his decision and how much of that is like Oscar Pereja's style. Like, I don't know, unless you're like Luis Nani or somebody like that, I don't know how much of it allows players to kind of 
try and get on the ball and beat players, but that's an issue in and of itself. And, and even if it is like uh, Faku's decision to try to kind of play the ball a little bit more. And I, and I think that there's plenty to be said about MLS defending, but it is very physical. And I think Faku gets bumped off the ball a little bit easier. So, and, and also I, I think that like, I think that the physical capabilities of MLS defenders are pretty high now tactically and, and technically, I guess, defensively, there can be some issues, even though they might get a little overblown here and there. But I, I think that Faku is maybe struggling to beat players as effortlessly as you might think. Um, and yeah, like I said, part of that could just be because he's instructed to try to play with the ball a little bit more and, and, be more influential off the ball, but also like whenever he is kind of trying to beat players, he will like lose possession and he, and he does like a little bit lost out there at times, I guess you could say. Um, but I mean, my thoughts, I, I do just kind of share that. Like I've kind of been a little bit disappointed with Faku throughout. He hasn't been terrible. And I think the MLS, especially um, because it's like the playoffs and stuff like that. And because he's a DP, especially like we're going to give him like a lot of time to get everything right like even like an entire season practically um, because you kind of have to, like you can't just give up on a DP instantaneously, especially someone as talented as him. And, and it, it's his play is not like to the point where we should be giving up on him. Uh, that's not what I'm saying, but it's just, I don't know. It's we, we've never really been like a team that has like one player that tries to consistently beat players. I think Chris Mueller maybe did that a little bit well. And, and when Syl- Sylvester Vanderwater's playing really good, he can do things like that. But I don't know. I mean, so you're talk- saying you think that's because of Pereja? It could. It could be like I. I just. I don't ever feel like we're a team that is constantly playing this like vertical. I guess like very fast paced, not counterattacking, but like direct style of play in, in all phases of play. I guess like we do like to try to maybe hold the ball a little bit more, and maybe that is not as um, to Facundo's standards as he would like, or like to his play style, but. And, you know, he's I, he's been – there's been some good moments. And I think he had a good, like, first half, especially in this game. And his off-ball movement is, like, good and stuff. But it's just – yeah, he's not like someone like a Diego Rossi or something like that where he's able to receive the ball in space and then isolate a player and go 1v1. Even though we know he has the ability to do so, he's just not able to do it as much as we were hoping because that can be very effective. And it's also just very entertaining. So it would be something that would be fun to see. But, yeah – I mean, it just kind of goes back to what we're saying, like his utilization and what he's doing on the field is not working. And there's very clearly a very talented player here. You just have to set him up for success and get it out of him, you know? And and I mean, we've kind of talked about what we think it could be, but it's hard to sell exactly what it is that would get the best out of him. Yeah. I've made my case on that. I, I, I kind of want Pereja maybe to look at him and go, okay, everyone else, like, you have your tactics, but but Facundo, you are the player who can break the game open. When you get it, I want you to just be a little bit more direct. Because I, I I'm not saying he's playing safe, but he's playing within the system, right? So I'm I'm watching the game here. Um, I've got the first half on right now. It was around the 31st minute, and he faded into left center back. <laughs> Joao Moutinho went out, and um. I think it was Perea went into left back and Facundo just dropped into left center back for a second. And it's like, as you were saying everything you were saying, I'm like, yeah, that looks like it. Uh, maybe not where we want our uh, our star attacking 
winger to be um, that deep. So, you know, it, it's a little bit of Pereja, a little bit of him. Um, but hey, uh, I think he's getting better. I think we're figuring it out. I think just he needs to be a little bit more direct. And I, I think you're right, Chase. Personally, I, I think it might be coach's orders sort of thing. Um, so I'm looking at Pereja for that one. Uh, Adam, any quick thoughts on Facundo Torres and him being maybe not as exciting? I, th- I thought you all hit on everything. Uh, just also note that, yes, uh, guys like Al- Almada especially, who has been a big hit for Atlanta, but then you think about guys like Ezekiel Barco mm. and Martinez also for that team that didn't come off the way everyone thought they might. So, you know, it, it's tough to make that transition. Guys generally do better in their second year. Anyway, anyway, I would be patient with Faku. He certainly hasn't been bad. You certainly see the talent there. Kind of let him figure things out a little bit. Velasco has been the best out of the three. Um, Almada has been okay, but he dribbles too much yeah. sometimes. Um, and to I, be I, fair, I haven't watched much Dallas and, and you know, we, we kind of get the Atlanta by proxy here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah Velasco is definitely for me anyways, he's been way better than Almada and I would say Almada. And- but, but how, but how common is it for a guy to come in and like a young guy to come in and immediately take over the league? Not very. Oh yeah. No, you're right about that. There is one more question. Uh, I think it was about Facundo. It was in the group chat. Here it is. I'm not going to share their name because it was on the group chat, not public. Um, but I posted the questions thing in there, and they said, uh, "How do we utilize Facu?" Oh, it's about Facundo. Okay, how do we utilize Facundo better? As, as in him feeling comfortable and taking a couple of shots. I know he has to be careful about how long he holds onto the ball because he's easy to be bumped off of it. Uh, like you were saying, he's been on the left side. He's been on the right side. He's been given the freedom to roam in the middle. I think Oscar is trying is something is something or someone intimidating him. I don't think he's being intimidated. Uh, I think he just needs to be a little bit more direct. Okay, let's go off of the Facundo Torres uh, discussion. We have one other question, and then I promise we will talk referees. Um, and it is from NJ Tommy at Agua goat obviously the aguero but goat uh how does the team keep composure with a cup derby midweek adam that one's going to you how are we going to keep composure against miami i actually did want to talk about the miami game because i think that this game against austin um partially you know not uh starting uh, not having pato play at all though the game he might have started the game, might have been chosen to start, but obviously the game, game didn't call for him as it went on. But I think keeping him on the bench um, may have been intentional so he can he can play against Miami. Um, I actually would have liked to see a little more rotation. Uh, I don't know. Here's the thing. I, I know we're going a little bit off topic, but we'll, we'll get to how they keep concentrated. Um, Andres Perea, who has played better of late, I think after um, that uh, wonder goal <laughs> against Philly, I think, and, and he played really well, uh, even apart from that goal. Sometimes we say like a goal isn't indicative of performance. I thought Andres Perea, even without the goal, played really well against Philly. Um, like even that first half with it, where he got a bad rap because he was playing Mike, Mike Halliday was not good. Um, but Andres Perea was kind of like 
forced to play on that side with him. People were like, take Perea off. I'm like, actually, Perea uh, hasn't been bad. And in the second half, he had a great performance. Uh, his, do we think he's kind of played himself into up up on the depth chart over Mendez? Who, even through I love Sabas Mendez, the last few times he's played hasn't been the same. Um, is there, I, is there, it was Chase, do you want to take that one? That Perea started three straight games. Yeah, I think that in Oscar's eyes, it's certain that Mendez has fallen in the depth chart. Which I, I think I, I can, I, I don't know, Perea has been playing better, but he was really, really poor in, in the beginning of the season. Um, and, you know, that's not to take away his performance, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know why he was sort of immediately bolstered into that starting position over Sebas Mendez. It could just be because they kind of think that Arujo and Sebas wouldn't work together. And I think that... Arojo is someone else that, like, I don't know, like, not even just because of this red card. Like, I haven't outright said it, but I kind of don't see the player that some people may see in him. I mean, I know that he draws a lot of fouls, which is actually a very valuable thing. Oh, I I agree. Yeah. He's just not like... I'm not saying I don't like Caesar. I think he's a good player. I don't... I'm still not convinced he's better than Mendez. No, yeah, I agree. It's his, it's his off ball. It's his defensive positioning. I promise you, it's his yeah. defensive positioning. Yeah, the way he moves, the way he and the, positions and the underlying to numbers make are very good for him. I get it. Pereja loves that about him. I, and I that's yes, his I, player. I get it, but Sebas is so good at being like a a heat seeking missile destroyer and also sparking attacks. I don't disagree. I think. It's very positional, really. I think Mendez and Araujo are the rotation, and then it was supposed mm-hmm. to be in the eyes of everybody think, going into the season, or so in Perea. I, I, I actually, I think you're right there that, um, in in Oscar's eyes, Mendez and Perea don't play the same position. Yeah, so I, I think it's just okay. Urso's out on the right. We put Perea in. Daniel and I also discussed last week um, after the Toronto match. It was, we talked about possibly utilizing a player's momentum for your benefit as a coach, right? So mm-hmm. Perea um, scored that wonder goal. He had a good performance against Philly, starting against Toronto, you know, j- try and get some of that momentum going. He does nothing wrong against Toronto. And, and Daniel brought up the good point of also like, hey, let's, we're, we're trying to run a meritocracy here as much as possible. He puts in a good performance. He earns his start. You guys win the game. He doesn't do anything wrong. What has he done to lose his place sort of thing? Um, so so I think part of that plays into it as well, managing a squad. Uh, Perea, um, Perea's earned it, I think, for now. Um, I, I, keeping composure against Miami. Yeah. Uh, and, and that kind of goes into a discussion we're going to have after this about game management, but I think we're going to be obviously pissed off going into this match. Yes. But I, I I think it's going to be in a a good way because we're starting the match off like that and it's not happening in yeah. the moment. I think you just, and this is up to Pereja, I think he has to make sure the team doesn't collectively lose its head. Right? And I think he has to instill in them, hey, th- this is your shot to show everyone who you actually are. That, you know, what happened in Austin, that's not the real us. And here's an in-state rival. It's an MLS team. 
it's a team we should beat, even though I don't want him to say that, but you know, that's the circumstances we should beat Miami. Yeah. And, and, you know, this anger is good and, and we want to murder them. Like I want blood tomorrow today when y'all are listening to it, I want blood. Um, but it has to be cleanly executed, not, you know, just going out there, picking up yellow cards willy nilly. And then, you know, you know, trying to be too aggressive, get out of position, get scored on. That can't happen. Um, I think Caesar and Schlegel will definitely play given that they get, uh, an automatic rest day <laughs> against Dallas. <laughs> so they should start their match and be prepared to go full 90. Pato, I think, is guaranteed to start. Mendez is probably guaranteed to start. So that's a solid core right there. Um, I don't really want to see Halliday. I hope we don't. He's been poor in the multiple times we've seen him this season. Um, and I think that he's a player that... So against Philly, when he came off, that right side looked much better. Uh, he's a player that you know he could, due to his inexperience and I think just lack of quality at the moment, lack of form, get scored on even if the rest of the team is playing well. So I would say Halliday is the one pitfall for just, you know, taking the game seriously enough, but also it's the it's the quarterfinals, so it should be a round of 16. Is that quarterfinals? It's round of 16. Round of 16. Quarterfinals would be eight, right? Anyway, it's around a 16. Like it's starting to get to to the you can see see the cup from this point. It's only three games left. Um you, you know, should be better lineups, I think. Question mark. Because it comes down to the coaching staff too. Like, how do you keep concentration? It's like, okay, we're gonna take this seriously. We're really trying to win this game. This is an important competition. We got some starters that are going to play here because they got red cards on Saturday, so they're, they're going to be fresh after that, no matter what. Mikey, you're up. It, it just doesn't that doesn't mix. Yeah, I think I think we see starters. I think we see Facundo start. I think we you see Pereira start. Juan, Juan. Well, I think Kyle Smith will yeah. probably start. No, well, yeah, Kyle Smith will probably start. I hope it's for Moutinho. Dude started like every single match. Yes. Nearly. I think Kyle Smith will be one of the fullbacks. I hope to God that Kyle Smith <laughs> is playing for Moutinho and not for Juan. That's what they did last game, right? Yeah. Moutinho, oh. Moutinho sat, I think. Well, then Halliday played the other. Actually, you know, both of them sat. Juan came in the second half. Yeah. Juan needs oh. to start. Yeah, definitely. I I think I think you raise a good point there with the uh, the the way the team is set up. How do we keep our composure? How do we how do we make sure that we're going into this with the right mindset? You play the good players, and you you show the team that we're taking this seriously, and we're not just using this as a rest day. Um, I would use it as a as a first start for Jake Mulraney. Um, I don't think that is showing anything to the team. I think it would be a fair start, a fair first start for him um, on the left. And then Facundo on the right. I, I, I want to see I want Facundo to start this match personally. Um, so that's where I'm at with it. Uh, all right. 
Chase, let's get into the to, to the roughing. First handball, I think is correct. Mm. I think yellow card is fine. <laughs> um, like it, you, if if the next handball doesn't get him sent off, I'm not sitting there complaining about it. I'm like, okay, whatever. He got a yellow card for it. Um, you see those given sometimes. Second one. The only way I can describe it is what Evan said on the broadcast, saying it's atrocious. Yes. So, first and foremost, do you think it's a handball to be a penalty? And then the second phase of this question is, do you think it's a yellow card? I don't think that uh, the first one. The first initial yellow, I agree that it was uh, a handball. And I think yellow could be kind of harsh. But I think that if there's a shot on goal and an intentional handball is committed, which I in, intentional is such like a vague word. It kind of anything can be argued as intentional. So it's just like I could say that that's a little harsh, but it's like uh, it is what it is. But I definitely just don't think the second one is even a handball, much less a yellow card. You know what I'm saying? Like he was, yeah. his arm was in a pretty natural position. Um, it wasn't really stuck out and it, like it was like ball to hand, I guess you could say, which I don't even think that that's like a part of the rule anymore, but his arm was in a natural position. It struck his like elbow maybe, but it was like near enough to his body that it shouldn't have been a penalty, much less a second yellow. Like it, it very clearly was just not intentional and it was in like the proper, um, you know, it was within like his, uh, I don't know what you would say, like a natural position, I guess is a term that you would hear a lot. It just definitely, I feel like was not like a handball at all. Like that's something that you see happen all the time. Like a ball gets struck at the wall and it just because like, you know, it's getting struck directly at the players. Like it's, it makes sense that it might like kind of hit them in the arm or something like that. But as long as their arm isn't outstretched, it's just not a handball and it should not be a handball. Like what else is Rodrigo supposed to do there? Like he, it's just, there's nothing else that he could do. Like it's stupid. And, and I think that it was poor officiating. And I also just think that there is like inherent issues with handballs because it's so vague. Like, that's the biggest thing that I feel like is, you know, kind of vague and negligible. Um, so it's just, it is extremely frustrating. And the second one is, as Evan would say, um, which I, I, I was really enjoying them, this game, in their commentary. And I think it was good that, like, Evan was saying, like, this sucks, like, it's terrible, it's a disgrace, this, that, and the other. Because, like, beyond, like, th that's even a worse look, I guess, for MLS if people who are covering it for, you know, their job are even saying like that is terrible rather than just like fans on Twitter um, because it really is. It, it's just an awful call. And it, it was one of the things that completely shifted a game, which should have been ours and it was unfair and out of our control. Yeah. Even, even the Austin crew, like I, on the highlights, the Austin, they have the Austin um, commentary crew and he kind of caught himself. He, he was like, oh, let's see if it was a handball. And then it looks and it's like, he goes, well, it does hit his arm. Like you could tell he was just like, you know, he, he's got to be 
a little biased for for Austin, and, and he's got to say, kind of side with them. That's part of the job. Um, so it's just like, yeah, it hits his arm, but you could tell he wasn't like full blooded. Like that's a penalty. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I like I agree with your answers there. Um, were you gonna say something else there, or no? Well, just that it's like objectively not. It's it's a pro- really it objectively is not a penalty, but it's very clearly not clear cut to be a yeah. penalty. You know what I'm saying like there's no way that you can argue that it's like, yeah, it's it's Stonewall or something like that. And this is a case where I'm more frustrated at the center ref than at VAR because this is one of those where it's like, does that meet the threshold of clear and obvious? To us fans, it does, right? Um, because we look at the context, player's been bumped. Uh, his arms close to his body, just a little bit jutted out. He's in the middle of the wall. Um, like that kind of contact's going to happen. You know, everybody goes, "What do you want him to do? Cut his arm off?" Like so that sort of thing. Um, but but with VAR, the the threshold is clear and obvious error. I don't know if you can. I don't know if if through a referee's lens they can go. That's a clear and obvious error because the ball does hit his elbow and it is a little bit tiny, tiny bit stuck out. Um, so I'm more mad at Dickerson for for instantly just calling it wrong and then instantly in the heat of the moment pulling out the yellow card, giving a red. Like it does not have if you're going to call a penalty, which I think is wrong. That is why is that a yellow? I, I, I don't think. I don't think it's a yellow. I, it's just <laughs> yellow is, is about how deliberate was the movement did was it deliberate and the, and the ref somehow some way in the middle of a wall felt that schlegel deliberately pushed his arm out to block a shot on target and gives a gives a yellow sends the man off um it's ridiculous going to your comments chase about handball rule overall i said this on mls now podcast last week because i saw a, a it was in the New York City FC versus DC United game. And I was basically saying handballs nowadays are so just punished to the maximum when a lot of times, you know, the ball just hits your hand in a not really dangerous situation. And then all of a sudden, boom, penalty goal. And what I was saying was when there's incidental, accidental contact in the box, refs will just let it happen, you know? So why is it that incidental accidental contact with the arm is automatically a penalty? My solution was, okay, contact with the ball in the box, you know, in an unnatural position, keep that verbiage because I like it personally. Um, is it is if it's a shot towards the goal and it's blocking a shot, you call penalty. If it's like, blocking a cross on accident if, if and it's in an unnatural position it's an indirect free kick so with this it still would have been a penalty but going to your comments on that that's my solution indirect free kick in the box if it's blocking a cross if it's blocking a pass you know that sort of thing if it's blocking a clear shot towards the target um or, or just in the vicinity of the target then yeah um I understand penalty in that situation. Um, and there's gray area in that too. But that's my solution. Uh, 
Adam, thoughts on the the handball call for the the second yellow and then the second yellow itself? Mm, no, uh, like I said, I don't have much to say about the refs. Yeah. We we said it all before. MLS refs are garbage. Yeah. So here's the next. They just are. <laughs> yeah, here's the next piece of it, Adam. Araujo gets sent off for deservedly well, I think, so. Yeah, I think all fans would agree, deservedly so. It was really boneheaded. After the game, Pereja gets on the mic, um, and he makes a comment about we need to manage a game better. And this was something that really frustrated me. Um, we've been how how long have we been saying this on the podcast, guys? We've been saying it since 2020 before the 2020 playoffs. It was brought up on this podcast saying that when the refs, you know, do something, when the refs do something like this or, or, or they have a, a, a bad call, we we get frustrated. We lose our heads. Mm-hmm. And I'm 150 percent positive. This is not the first time Pereja has thought man, we're really losing our heads. Like, we need to do better at oh, yeah. game management. It's just the first time he's said it. Um, by this point, though, I think it should Which, not you know, be as big of an issue as it is. That's a double-edged sword, though, because at the same time, this team plays with a lot of passion and a lot of emotion, a lot of energy. And that's part of what, you know, when they, it doesn't look like they should win a game. Sometimes they pull it out. That's a big reason why. So it's, you can't, you almost can't have one without the other unless you're just super, super disciplined and like really good at channeling that passion emotion and absolutely never losing your head. But it's a bunch of young guys too. And Robin Johnson. <laughs> you, do you know what I, what I was thinking though? I, I want to see our experienced players, Pedro Galese, Robin Janssen, Maurizio Pereira, yeah. um, so, look, so look at everybody and just tap their, you know, when you tap your temples to say like, yeah. hey, focus, I just, whenever there's a moment like that, I want to see our experienced players look around, look at everybody, maybe this is like some cue, and just tap your temples, just, hey, focus, come on, focus, mm-hmm. let's go. Araujo cannot be doing that. We win this game if we're down to 10 men. Teams yeah, have been absolutely. doing fine this season down to 10 men. It was the ninth man that killed it for us. And yeah, you, you can defend with 10. I really hope. I really hope Perea sees this as a as kind of a breaking point and they discuss internally game management. We've been saying it on this pod for years, but some sort of I think Q needs to be made for these players to just focus in moments like these. When I saw this, that's, that's a thing. So like I said, not much to say about the refs, garbage MLS refs. It happens to win in this league. You need to be able to win despite the refs. And when they fuck you over because they will, you need to be able to keep your head and say, Hey, we still got a 2-1 lead. We need to protect this. We need to not do anything dumb. Yeah. Uh, I, when I saw the um, penalty go in, my first thought was, I can see us finishing this match with nine men. And then 
next attack or auto uho goes and kicks the dude in the nuts. Um which if Shay- you're going to get sent off, yeah, you get your money. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chase, what do you make about our game management issues, our continuing game management issues? I mean, I personally kind of to an extent disagree with what Adam says a little bit. I still think and, and this isn't necessarily what you're saying. And I can understand like saying like playing with passion, you're going to get emotional, like playing with, you know, obviously you want to play with a level head, but letting like your emotions feel the game like they're human beings obviously it's going to be impacted and it can benefit you and it can also hurt you at times but i still just don't really think that there is an excuse for the way that we just kind of capitulate after something like this occurs um and you know it's easy for me to say that like i'm not out there while it's happening and like this is a huge part of their lives but it just it's it just is not and i know that the whole issue is like it is illogical thinking but it's just not logical to do something like that um in in that moment and and we just we have to be better than that we have to be smarter than that it's it's only going to hurt us to continue playing like this and you know it's like i understand the frustration and stuff like that and it's it really isn't even just like cesar or you know anybody like it it's kind of like team wide and even the players that you would expect wouldn't be getting sucked into this like, you know, I think Mauricio can be very hot-headed. Like, we saw that, like, even going back to the playoff game against New England, where he got sent off. It's like... Juan it's, kicked Anton Tinnerholm in the chest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, Juan, just does, Juan doesn't seem like that type of player either, I would say, on the surface at least. And it's just, like, we just can't do it. Like, there is no excuse for it, I feel like, to have this be such a team-wide issue as well. Like, it's not even, like, just... You know, like, there's always going to be a player on a team that accumulates a lot of red cards. Like, even, like, great players like, I don't know, like Roy Keane or somebody like that uh, could get sucked in in moments like this. But it's just, it is just, like, a team-wide issue. And it, it, it can, I, I get what, like, Adam, I get what you're saying, where it's, like, playing with passion can be beneficial sometimes. But I still just don't think it means that we can allow ourselves to just completely fall apart. Because like you guys said, like once you're at 10 men, the game is not lost. Even if it was like, you know, we were hard done. A good response and like a level-headed, um, determined response is still going to see this game out. And that is just not something we seem capable of at times. And it, it, it It's unfair how, how it happened. And I get the frustration, but we just... it Just falling apart like this, there is no excuse. Especially because like it is like a league, like Adam said where the referees are terrible like it's consistently awful and it's not just us it's it's everyone else and this is this is going to happen and we have to be able to kind of respond better because it's something that is going to occur a lot you know and i think the bigger discussion with refereeing here um is just pro as a whole you know what i'm saying like it's not like oh mls agenda against orlando city or any significant team which maybe there's like bias and favoritism in all sports to bigger teams um by the referees and stuff but it's just it, it's just a fundamental issue that constantly occurs where they are just inserting themselves into games and, and completely ruining games. And so, so I will say one thing about Joe Dickerson, because I think we're in danger of letting him off the hook a little bit with this. Just a stat to bring up. Austin had 15 fouls, zero cards. We had, I think, six fouls, five cards. I'm not saying that he was paid. I'm not saying that he had an anti-Orlando bias. What I am saying is 
for some reason he judged our team more harshly and maybe someone pissed him off and took that out on us. Home crowd bias. Yeah. Home crowd bias. A lot or of maybe a home crowd bias. Something like that. And that can't happen. He needs no, to don't. call the game impartially. I agree. Because like oh, it, it, who is their, their center back who had five fouls, no card? Probably Cascante. Yeah, Cascante. Knowing the two center backs. Five, five fouls, no card. Like... That is, and we had five cards. That's not fair officiating. It just straight up isn't. So he he had some bias. That is inarguable. I'm not no. saying I'm not saying he was corrupt. I'm saying he was obviously biased. And that's a problem with pro as a whole. And you can continue, Chase. He's playing. Sorry, sorry. He's playing savior. He's playing. Okay, this team's struggling. I'm going to send a man off. The, the fans are going to love me. I'm going to get the claps. I'm going to be the center man. I'm I'm the big boy. Um like let the players determine the result. The the, the red card for me is the the big big moment. The the second yellow, sorry. Uh is the biggest moment. But it's other things. It's when uh Driussi, you know, walked into Robin Janssen, flopped and got Janssen a yellow. It's when Tesho got won a clean header and then got called for a foul. It's shit like that, where he's clearly got a bias against one team. Yeah. That's almost more infuriating me than the red card because you could you can make an argument to me that is not totally in bad faith. It's a dumb one, but it's not totally in bad faith that it hit his hand both times and it was a shot both times, and so both of them have to be a yellow. You can make that argument. And if that's what you truly believe and you always want to enforce it like that, I don't necessarily want to watch soccer like that, but you can believe that. You cannot tell me that the rest of the officiating of the game as a whole was okay. Sorry, Jason. No, I mean, no, you're good. Absolutely. Like, I agree. Like, it was awful. And we were the team that was hard done on every single call. Uh, that I can recall. I mean, I'm sure if you ask an Austin fan, they're going to be like, oh, like I saw someone remark on like Pedro's time wasting or something like that. But that's that's inconsequential. And that's something that happens all the time. And yeah, we were time the one wasting down to nine men. Yeah. Of course, what a, a surprise. <laughs> it's it's we got screwed. Like I I'm not like letting him off the hook for sure. But I'm just saying that I don't necessarily think that it is like a general corruption thing or, or down to outright bias. I definitely think that he gave the home team some credit because that is just someone who isn't able to kind of control their judgment might get kind of sucked into that in like the general atmosphere. And the referees do kind of tend to view themselves as a part of the game rather than just kind of like a mechanism that keeps it ticking, um, which I think is a bad thing. I just, I still just, I find myself hard to always like say like, Oh, it's, corruption or oh there's bias or not bias but like complete i don't know fixing match fixing or something like that it's more so i just i just feel like they're just genuinely incompetent unprofessional individuals who are not unable to do our jobs which we do find ourselves and and listen we have personal biases as well but like i do feel like we are the ones getting hard done quite a lot like i can't necessarily remember a situation where we were the ones that were objectively fucked over uh, as often or, or where we are the ones who are benefiting from that. Like it's more so we are the ones getting completely torched. You know what I'm saying? But it's just, I, I don't know how much of that is true bias and favoritism as much as it's just general incompetence of people. Not I mean, certainly no one's out there saying, Oh, Orlando gets all the calls. 
No, yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree with that as well. I think we haven't had an MLS penalty yet this season, which I'm not saying we've done really anything to deserve one. Um, but yeah, you know, you think of Chicago, you think of, I think New York Red Bulls is another game where we... Didn't, uh, get, didn't Benji draw a penalty? Oh, that was, was that, against was uh, Tampa. Oh, that yeah, was Tampa Bay, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't think we've really gotten to the box enough to really draw penalties, but still, we haven't gotten one. Um, in terms, Chase, of like bias, like I think it's fair to say bias. I just think there's a really bad, like a really negative connotation there in terms of, oh, well, he was biased towards Austin like intentionally like you can be unintentionally biased and for me i think home crowd savior complex um i'm the center man uh i'm gonna you know i have cards and and i'm gonna use them uh you're not gonna back talk me you know like all of these things you know at the end of the match and i just posted this on twitter before we started recording he literally chests or was it he squares up with Kyle Smith? Kyle was, Smith gets yeah, in his Kyle face. Smith, yeah. Um, Kyle Smith gets in his face to tell him how bad he is, which I think is an, a hilarious clip, by the way. He he literally just goes, You're so bad. You're so bad. It was hilarious. But right after final whistle, Joe Dickerson's backing up, and then he like steps up, gets in his face, like, you're not gonna talk to me like that. Like, like F off, basically. Um, like that's unprofessional. That's like, you know, you, if like you're gonna, if you're, needs to be above that. Yeah, if yeah. yeah, definitely. If you're gonna fuck over a team, like expect to get some criticism. <laughs> and, and um, like, if you're a if you period, yeah. truly, if yeah. you truly yep. believe that you made the right calls, and as a referee, you should, right? Yeah. You should always think you're making the right call. If you truly believe you made the right calls, and you are a good referee you will ignore them because you know that comes with the job. I'm not saying it is right that referees get abused the way they do. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it happens. And it is unavoidable. It will always be a part of that job. And if you're going to do that job, you have to make your peace with it. You have to. Because if you don't, you're only going to make it worse because it's going to make you a worse referee. Yeah. Well, I think that that just about does it. Um, we've had our little therapy session here. <laughs> um, look, we're going to be out with Araujo and um, Schlegel now for uh, the next MLS match against Dallas. And we've got a midweek match in between. So that's going to be interesting how we handle that. Uh, Janssen and Thomas Williams or Janssen and and. Thomas Williams. I think that's what we might do, actually. No, Schlegel should start. No, he's got oh, the you're saying you're seeing an MLS. I, I MLS. Was talking, I, was midweek. I think I think we see, and I don't want to go on here too long, but I think we see a back three of Janssen, Thomas Williams in the left center back, Kyle Smith at right center back, yeah. and then Juan at the wing back. I think that's what we'll see. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and get out of here. Chase, have a great rest of your night, my friend. Where can our listeners find you at? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Vamos O-C-S-C. Adam, where can our listeners find you up? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at uh, both Kosher Taco Truck and Cappy's Food Truck. Food Truck will be at Broken Strings uh, before both matches coming up, before uh, the uh, the Miami match 
today as you're listening to this, hopefully, and also before the FC Dallas match. Um, and uh, we're uh, going to be serving up Medianoche as the special uh, before Miami. And I'm super excited about that. It's one of my favorite sandwiches. Um, so I'm super excited to make that for y'all. And I may be making brisket for Saturday. <sighs> Guys, so, come on now. Got to hit that up. Yeah, game day specials are going to be fucking lit. So yeah, yes. uh, Broken Strings, I'll probably be there around four. And we'll uh, we'll close up shop usually half an hour before the match. Sounds good. Well, I did not tell you to have a good rest of your night, and that made me feel bad. So have a good rest of your night. Thank you. Vamos. Vamos. Yep. Biggest man in MLS comes up here!